Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur, please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on all those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I still pinch myself, but thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. That's a, a misconception um, that is out there that um, you know, negotiators are, you know, try to play mind tricks and games and all that sort of stuff. For those of you who haven't heard John's first podcast with us, I'd suggest if you've got time, go back and have a listen, because to say it was a fascinating insight would be a gross understatement. We heard all about how John O'Neill, our guest again today, became a police negotiator what special behavioural attributes make a negotiator, how they begin to negotiate with a person so full of rage or holding someone hostage or maybe threatening to kill either themselves or others. So what do they say? What don't they say? How do they establish rapport within minutes? And we did hear some secrets to having a positive outcome rather than a terrible, tragic one. John was literally the reason some people lived and others didn't. He was the front man of the team doing the talking while his team working behind him were furiously working out how to conclude the situation with no one getting hurt or even worse killed. Last time, John told us about his first job as a negotiator when he was in the hot seat, as he called it, where a man had barricaded himself inside his house and he doused himself with petrol. And I literally gasped when John told us that he was negotiating with this man from the front steps of the man's house. Now, I don't think you could put yourself in a more dangerous, treacherous, tenuous situation than that. But that was John's job. What was interesting about this case was that when we hung up from the podcast and John and I had a bit of a debrief, 
he told me more about talking to that man on the steps and I wanted you to hear it because it was incredible. John's also going to take us with him today to some of his more notable negotiations, which will have you, I promise you, shaking your head in amazement at what this man has done under unimaginable, enormous pressure. So, John, welcome again. <laughs> G'day, Narelle. How are you going? Thanks for having me back again. Yes, well, I, I sort of felt we had to, John. Well, you left us all up in the air last time, so I had to ask you back. <laughs> <laughs> Not finished, huh? <laughs> oh, no. happy, happy to chat more. It's terrific. Um, yeah, that that was a um, uh, a doozy that job. I've got to say, not just because it was my first one, but um, uh, a, n- a number of elements in there that um, yeah. I, I look back now, and uh, and I think honestly, I was probably just more concerned in doing a good job than I was for my own safety, which I think is probably common when you're starting out in a new field like that and you wanna you wanna do a good job, you know, you wanna you wanna solve the the problems and, and uh, especially when you've got your peers watching and that's enormous pressure, isn't it? When people are listening to everything you're saying and everything you're doing, every move you make is being watched by your your peers, as you say. Yeah, yeah, it is, and I think the the more experience that I gained, um, the more I I learned to sort of uh, push that to one side, not to be so caught up with performance pressure. Um, but back then, I, I certainly had it, and uh, yeah, I was on the front step talking to this fellow. At one point, in fact, he was um, he was just in the other side, uh, sitting down in the hallway uh, of the security door. Um, a decent sort of door, um, so you know I could talk to him through the security door, and um, and of course watching his hands um, to make sure you know he was promising that he wasn't about to light himself, but he could at any moment if he wanted to do, and all this sort of stuff. But it was it was when he ducked out of sight that um, uh, that things sort of really ramped up. So um, you know when when you can't see them and you don't know what they're doing you know is he going into the and he kept going in the kitchen all the time and you're wondering oh, is he going God. in there to get something to ignite himself or is he turning on a gas bottle or what what is he doing and of course it was made worse because we had you know the others in the background yelling all sorts of things from from the street and it's hard to sort of control what people say when they're in their own properties and um uh and in particular you know local police had had a hist- long-standing history and um weren't that happy that he was holding us all at bay again. Um, so, you know, that that sort of stuff does weigh on you. But every time he did move, I must admit, we would um, we would all jump up and sort of run around the corner, basically, whilst I'm still trying to yell out to this fellow, like, what are you doing? You know, promise me you're not doing anything. Please talk to me because while, whilst you're talking to them, you've, you've got a bit of an idea of what they're doing, of course. And um, and then he'd come back and you'd see his hands again and things had settled down again. We'd get more comfortable um, in talking in the front. But I wanted to I wanted to be on the front step. That might sound a bit strange or ridiculous, no, but it doesn't at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I just wanted to be there, sort of um, in a relaxed position um, to to help to put him at ease, really. Um, you can imagine again if you put yourself in that fellow's shoes, looking out his front door. That the house is surrounded by uh, armed police. Not not that I was armed, but uh, armed police, and um, you know, people yelling things and and all sorts of stuff going on out the front. A lot of commotion. Um, um, he, he, of course, he's going to be in fear, 
and um, and fears and fears a big driver, you know, of, of people's behaviours and what they do. They they pick up what we'd call leverage, you know, whether that's um, cover yourself in fuel or or uh, pick up a knife or a rifle or, or something like that, or, or or take someone against their will. It's all leverage, and it's usually fear driven. You know, it's uh, it's designed to for them to get what they want. Um, and the fear is that if they don't have that leverage, they won't get what they want, and they might be simply arrested or get locked up or whatever. So that was. Um, Were you armed? No, 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 no. So we don't. So we don't go out armed. So um, look, there, there've been a number of negotiator models over the years, um, uh, whereby police negotiators have been in uniform and not in uniform. Um, uh, I believe now in Victoria we're back to not being in uniform, uh, which I think is a good thing because when I attend to a job, I want to put someone at ease. I want to try to, uh, you know, aim for rapport. The, the aim is always rapport, whether you get there or not. Doesn't really alter um, the approach. Certainly not for me. I'm, my approach will always be aiming for rapport and a positive connection, um, whether I get there or not, and that'll help keep me on track. But we uh, we weren't armed. I certainly wasn't armed. However, um, you know, there's there's usually somebody in you know a, po- a police officer dressed in black uh, with a rifle in the grass nearby. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> or uh, behind the brick fence, or you know, yeah. I, I always. Um, you know, yeah, you, you have to feel safe, and I, and I, you know, I've admitted that I probably did put my safety second back then. But others around me that were more experienced, of course, um, were there to make sure I was safe, and that, and that, and that, that allows me then to just concentrate on the job, on on the talk, and then I can just, you know, get comfortable with the talk and trying to uh, fix problems with this person in a collaborative type of way, if possible, um, and not worry so much. About about the safety. You, you imagine if you're worried about you know being attacked or that you're not safe or you you couldn't you, do your you job grabbed yourself. Uh, you wouldn't no no that that's right, mate. So you would wouldn't be able to do it. So um, so yeah, every time he'd move, we would um, scurry around, and I'd have uh, police sort of assist me with that, and back around the corner, and sort of make some more distance, and but keep you know keep on talking the entire time, and try to reassure him and. Um, when he went out of your um, sight, um, what's would you keep talking to him? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That and more importantly then than ever, um, to try to gauge. Um, you know, we we learn so much about just listening to to people's um, tone and the inflection in their voice, and try, trying to work out what their intent might be. You know, just saying hello to someone you don't know. You know, you learn a lot whether they. <laughs> they grunt at you or they snarl <laughs> or they say, oh, hey, here you go. You know, you, you learn a lot, don't you, pretty quick. So so constantly trying to measure, yeah. Do they ever ask you personal questions like um, and and how would you answer it? Would, like, would they say something like, um, are you married, you know, do you, like would you answer those questions truthfully or how do you get around that? Yeah, well, um, and that's it's an individual thing as to how much you want to give. The more that you can give um, about yourself, you know, there, obviously there are limits um, to it, but the more you can give, um, the more you're going to show yourself as just a real person that, you know, lives in the real world and really wants to help. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I'm genuine, I'm, I'm more authentic if I can give a little bit about myself. And, 
And I'd sort of, you know, um, look to reciprocity as well. If I give a little bit about myself and that might encourage them to give a bit back. Ressa what? Ressa what? Reciprocal (laughs) altruism. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Uh, Reciprocity. So so getting a little bit back because we've given something to them and and that helps to establish that connection as well. If if I'm very shielded and... um, uh, what have you, it's, you know, they're less likely to give me stuff because they're probably wondering whether I'm being genuine, whether, you know, what am I hiding? Um, am I being real or not? So um, the more I can give, so yeah, of course, I would give a, I'd give stuff around that. And, you know, if this person, if I was negotiating with someone, I have done many times, often they're um, result, you know, result of domestic incidents and situations. And, um, you know, if, if I was going or had broken up from a marriage, for example, I'm, I'm going to talk about that a little bit, yeah. but just a little bit. Yeah. But I'm not going to give them my address and say, "Hey, let's catch up at the local pub and have a beer." Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that's we're not. We, you've got to have you've got to have those limits. And but you know, one one of the golden rules for us as negs is that you don't um, you don't lie, and uh, you might not give all the truth out, but you certainly don't make things up. You don't lie because I want. I want a person to believe that I'll do what I say I'm going to do. And, um, you know, so that's that's a really important thing. But, yeah, of course you have boundaries. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting when you said in our debrief, you said that when he went um, out of sight that you would say things which you actually felt. Like you would say, yeah. I need you to come out now because I can't see you, I don't know what you're doing. I thought that was a really powerful connection because you're um, you're telling him how you're feeling. Yes. Did, and did that work? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, it's what's always worked for me in my uh, experience, my history as a negotiator is to be quite um, out front with um, how I am feeling, and uh, you know, if uh, if they're worrying me about something, I'll tell them. If someone's, uh, you know, if they're stepping closer to the edge of, of, of the uh, the bridge, for example, or a rooftop car park or something, going closer, I'll tell them. I'll say you, you're really starting to scare me. Um, or if they're coming to me, you're starting to scare me. You're making me nervous, or you're worrying me. Um, and pl- please don't, please don't. I remember being harnessed up once. Um, as a family law courts, it was inside um, inside the building. There, it's very very open, and there are many many stories to it. And uh, there was a fella internally on the ledge, and uh, and getting harnessed up by the high angle rescue guys from the fire uh, from MFB, um, so that I could go onto the ledge and and talk to him, but harnessed up, and that was actually powerful because he was watching this happening, and he was allowing it to happen. And I sort of sought his permission in a way to to help form a connection as well. Look, I'm, I just basically told him, I said, I'm getting harnessed up because I want to be closer because I want to, I want to hear what's going on. And I said, I don't feel safe without this stuff. I don't want to fall and I really, really hope that you don't want to fall either. And um, sort of put that out there um, to, to help establish a connection. So I'm just showing that, you know, I'm, I'm a human. I, I don't want to be hurt. I don't want him hurt. But I really do have interest in what his situation is because. The more I know about it, the better I can help um, come up with options and things, you know. You're really sharing your vulnerabilities in a way, aren't you? Mm, yeah, you, you are. But that's, again, that's part of, 
part of uh, what makes you effective or, or not, I guess, is that the more that you can um, expo- expose some of those vulnerabilities and weaknesses, look, we're, we're all human um, in the gig and we make mistakes. You know, but, and I think it took me probably a little while to get my head around the idea that making mistakes is okay. Like we, I don't always get it right, but so long as I learn from those mistakes, um, yeah, I might, might fire them up. I might lose some ground and we might go a bit backwards, but um, I'll, I'll be the first to put my hand and say, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry if you've got me wrong. Yeah, can we, can we rewind? Can you please let me just re- reset for a second because, I've, you know, I've missed something. I've missed some some crucial bit of information then that, you know, I'm sorry, I should have, I should have got you, got you better than that. Mm. Can you tell us about a mistake that you made where you thought, oh my God, what did I say that for? Is there something that um, stands out to you? Oh, um, you know, I, I guess something that stands out to me, it's probably more little things like, you, you know, I have heard, I have heard someone else call someone by the wrong name, <laughs> you know, that things like that don't go too well for you. <laughs> like, you know, and was it Logger called something by the wrong name and I thought, oh my God, we're, going, we're in trouble. We're in trouble now. And that was taking over, <laughs> that was taking over from somebody, a, a local officer was doing a really good job. <laughs> and, um, you know, that, that's not ideal, is it? No. And, you know, you know, I really want to help you, Scott. And you say, yeah, my name's Steve. You know, what are you doing? You really want to help me? Um, so, um, you don't even know my name. Why would I listen to you? Oh, um, so, you know, that, 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 can be, that sort of thing can get you in trouble. And I should say that, you know, if, it, if you know, local police were talking to someone when I arrived and um, they were doing a good job and they were happy to stay there, I'm certainly not going to interrupt that or disturb that. If, they're, if they've got a good conversation going and the person seems to uh, want to talk to them and that, I'm just going to jump into a support role and do my best to, to help them out and let them talk. It's a bit, you know, not like, like the movies where they, uh, you know, <laughs> they got a bit of chewy gum and shiny sunglasses and a long coat and they say, you know, help out of the way. <laughs> I've got this, you know. It's not like that at all. But um, <laughs> so, um, but, yeah, little bits and pieces through, um, you know, d- during a negotiation I'm sort of looking for, or listening for little nuggets of gold, if you like, little little statements and little snippets of information that will allow me to open up uh, another um, room, room of dialogue, if you like, like um, li- little things. And you know, typically, it's, it looks a bit like a roller coaster, the um, the, the um, progression line on a negotiation, sort of up and down, and it's uh, with their emotions. You know, their emotions go up when I make a mistake, and uh, they jump out of gear a little bit. And then, as we're going well, if their emotions sort of subside a bit, and we start to make some good headway. But I'm I'm listening for little bits and pieces that can help me explore what their story is. Mm-hmm. Really, like uh, you know, if someone said to me, "You've got no idea what I've been through." Um, well, to me, that's fantastic. You know, if I, if I hear that, it's like, and that's great because that allows me then to say, well, no, I don't, and that and that's what I'm, what I'm here for. And will you please give me a bit of it? You know, and um, because the more I know, again, the more the more I can help. Yeah, but it's um, it is hard to get them to to sort of uh, uh, you know trust you. Um, often, it does take a long time to get anywhere near trust, you know, and it's about trying to reassure them and um, put them at ease, guarantee that they're 
they're going to be safe if they if they just talk to me. That you know, I can guarantee you be safe. If you talk to me and we work together on this. Nothing's going to happen. No, nothing, nothing bad is going to happen to you. You won't be assaulted, and unless they, you know, having said that, there was a um, there was a fellow one night that did come outside to grab his dog. So we <laughs> we got. And, and he, look, he was a you know a laugh, I laugh at the circumstances around these jobs sometimes. Certainly not when anybody was seriously injured or killed. It, it's it's a it's a serious game, but sometimes you got to laugh at the circumstances and quite unique. And, and we had this this house cordoned off, and uh, I was talking to the fella um, from a from another house around the corner, and and next thing there's. Um, He's talking about his dog. He can't find his dog. And um, so I'm trying to, you know, let him know we'll get to his dog. His dog will be okay and all the rest of it. Just let, let's solve this problem first. And the police all um, police all around the house. And um, and anyway, it went it went cause a bit of a commotion. It went quiet. Then there was a commotion. Turned out he, his dog ran out, ran out the front. So he's he's come out onto the front step. Uh, was actually sidestep into into the side road to grab his dog back, yeah. and just about run into the police in a cordon. And there was a there was a police there that's just jumped on him. So that was I'm really unlucky for him, but it sort of it resolved yeah. it quickly. But um, yeah. Yeah. if he had to just work with me, he, that wouldn't have happened. But he chose to come outside and right in the line of um, police there, and they've, they've just seized the opportunity to grab him. As you would, you wouldn't, you wouldn't let an opportunity like that go, would you? No, no, of, co- of course not. Of course not. You don't know what you know where that job's going to go. You don't know what the guy's thinking really, and it could have ended up worse. And so they resolved it. Was was really successful. Um, and, um, and then he gets a chance to to tell his story to someone else. You, you said that uh, you had a couple of interesting cases that uh, you could share with us, and I've got to admit, I've heard a few snippets of them, and. Um, could you yeah. share with us about yeah. the guy yeah. with the fire hose? And again, we are not making fun of this because, no. as you said, this is a really serious. Um, you know, these are well, they are life changing moments for a lot of people. But I suppose, um, you know, in every job, there's going to be some lighter moments. I, I think uh, it's the sort of the way that we cope isn't it in a way and this had its lighter moments didn't well it's probably not a lighter moment is the right description but can you tell us about it yeah yeah look it it just resolved quite differently that was all and uh, I don't know of anyone else that's um, done a a neg job or been to a siege like this that's been resolved this way but um it was very interesting, you know. And I talk about trying to get um, trying to get a story from people. You know, it's really important. I, I want people to um, truly feel heard. You know, when when they're talking to me, feel, feel that I can help. I'm interested. I'm concerned, and I can actually help. Um, and this was a difficult one, and as are, as are many because of um, the presence of mental illness. And um, and this particular fellow, he lived in a in a bungalow at West West Melbourne and uh, lived in a bungalow at the back of the, the property. And um, he was uh, diagnosed schizophrenic, he, um, uh, severe paranoid personality um, disorder going on, so very um, reluctant to talk to um, authority anyway or anyone perceived authority. And that, and that's another reason, Narelle, that we don't, you know, we go to jobs at, um, you know, in plain clothes, like, oh, 
I'll go and negotiate a job in je- jeans and a t-shirt if it's you know warm enough. Or usually a dark jacket or something, yeah. um, unarmed. And I can stand there and say, I'm not armed. You know, what? Why do I need to be armed? And knowing that I'm protected by others, um, as and that sort of helps to put people at ease a little bit, rather than standing there in a uniform with this huge amount of authority. Uh, you know, projected, but um, and and this particular fella, he um, he had an axe. He was a, another one actually um, covered in fuel, so he had a lot of fuel in this bungalow. He he drenched himself in that. He had an axe, and um, um, oh, geez, there was a lot of moving parts in this job because um, he had a, a long, obviously, a medical history, a mental health history. Um, so we had the crisis assessment team people there. We had the police psychologist. Um, down there as well. We had the fire, the MFB were there, um, police commander, we had dog squad there, so the canine unit were there, Good. and uh, and his parents as well were there. And it went for a long, long time and, um, and, and caused, you know, disruption to the street and all the rest of it, so, you know, got a bit of attention. And... Um, and because of his, his situation there, it was very difficult to talk to, to get a story, to get him to talk to us. But we did anyway. And what he did was he hacked a, he cut a hole in the side of the bungalow. He hacked, hacked a hole in it with his axe from the inside. And uh, he could smell um, fuel and everything. So we were sort of talking back. Um, I had, um, I wasn't the primary, I was a team leader on that job, but I had uh, primary negotiator talking from a distance back. And, um, and then I'm talking the police commander who was actually it was quite um, strange. There was a few crazy ideas running around like why don't we send you know give him a drink or something to eat that might might be laced or something or you know we might send him to sleep and then we can just go in and get him and of course there's danger around that because he can ignite himself if he felt and then that never happens mind you that's TV stuff and movie stuff um, you know these sorts of things. And um, and others wanted to um, just force the door in, and that that was an option because not everybody is, um, you know, always as patient, I suppose, or, or wants to afford the time for people. So, um, you know, different agendas and things, and different tactical options come into play. But anyway, we um, generally, you know, we try to just talk and avoid using force at all. That's that's the way. That's the way that police work. Um, which is good, it's safe. Anyway, so talking to him and um, not really getting too far, the police psych was you know, listening in and advising and uh, on you know what what perhaps not to do. And, and as far as my psych um, uh, knowledge goes, it's about you know mad, bad, sad, and glad is about as far as I want to go. I don't want to sort of enter too deeply into trying to provisionally diagnose someone and get it wrong and muck it up. So. So we rely on the experts and, um, yeah, the police psych was there and the CAT team, we got all this history and that. And in the end, it was decided that um, rather than uh, force entry, the fire brigade that were there, they said that they could flood the bungalow in about 10 seconds flat um, with foam. 10 seconds? Yeah, 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 yeah. 10 seconds. Unbelievable, right? So they had these big appliances out the front and they ran these very, very quietly, ran these hoses and then set ladders up on the side of the bungalow. And um, uh, unbe- unbelievable to watch. And um, mm-hmm. and then on the signal, um, created broke a couple of holes into the top roofs or near the roof of the bungalow and put these hoses in and flooded the thing. And I, I kid you not, in 10 seconds it was – Full of this foam, and um, 
And I've got, have you ever seen the Acme cartoons where the little timber houses are sort of bulging? You know, like it seriously reminded me of one of those um, Looney Looney Tunes sort of cartoon where the you know the timber boards are sort of bulging. There's foams pumping out of this thing everywhere, and he come he come flushing out the front door like a like a seal at the like a seal at the bloody zoo. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. Um, which was a really really good outcome because he was soaked. He couldn't ignite himself. He he certainly let go of the axe, and he was just. Just yeah. drenched and uh, and picked up and uh, and of course able to get some more help because he um, he wasn't going to come out on his own because he was in fear of um, you know the health profession you know doctors and things who were going to yeah. take him away and what have you and you know he had a lot of stuff a lot of stuff going on the poor fella and but you know what he um, he survived and uh, uh, because of that but geez I've never and we got told after that that we probably shouldn't use the fire department to resolve. Critical incidents like that's probably a little bit outside their charter, but uh, <laughs> Prob- yeah, probably, I'll tell you what, it was yeah. interesting to watch. <laughs> yeah, but you know, as you, but uh, as you say, um, it was uh, going outside um, the norm, and I suppose in the end, you've got to try anything and everything, um, yeah, with the situation to get a, a peaceful outcome, and it was. And yes, I'm sure you know you're not supposed to do that, but. That is like what a, a great result, and you know I'm just thinking to myself of the parents like being there. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, that's right. They're in, in the in the main home, and we were um, talking to them, um, you know, continuously around different things. And and like you say, there are a lot of options. You know, police have a lot of options at their disposal to resolve these things, and the fire department, as it turned out as well. But, um, you know, we we just try to always select the option that um, doesn't get anyone hurt, that doesn't use or has the least amount of force used, if you like, from from the police team. Um, And and talking is is absolutely the preferred, preferred option. Just talk, and I think the more experience I got, the more I learnt to not be in such a hurry as well. Yeah, um, yeah. just to to use time a bit more, to take my time, to be as much myself as I possibly could, and just not be in a hurry to resolve, not not be caught up in other people um, listening and watching and and stuff. I had a guide. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Um, talking to a guy with a bomb in a backpack at Crown Casino once. You imagine that the crowd there um, years ago, he was in the, in the main lobby of Crown with a backpack, said he's going to blow the place up. So better evacuate, but you can only evacuate so far. And, and um, yeah, hu- huge number of people watching. If you get too caught up in that, you start thinking about your words and mm. um, then, you, then you're, not, you're not yourself, you're not natural mm. and um, it doesn't get you, it doesn't work. You must be very good at being able to compartmentalise what you're doing and um, not being um, affected by what's going on around you. Like that must be an incredible um, um, ability to have. Um, well, it's it's a team thing, you know. Like you, you know that you've got the strength of a team around you. And might only be one other person um, in a secondary role behind you that's that's liaising with – um, command and other other agencies and things and supporting and watching your safety and that. But you you know you've got a team. You try to isolate yourself. You put yourself in in an area like you create a negotiate a cell somewhere that's sort of detached um, from the main activity of the scene um, and concentrate. You know, just get stuck into the job and um, and really really rest. On each other a little bit, and look, you know, in there'd be brackets of communication. I felt like I'd done, you know, uh, not 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 so well, <laughs> really. And uh, you beat yourself up a little bit about that sort of thing. But then you, you know, then then you look to the team, you get support there. You think, right, oh, where have we been? Yeah, where are we now? Where are we going to go in the next bracket? Um, how can we do this better? What are some of our short term, you know, ideas? You get this person talking more about their situation because it takes a long time for people to talk about their to, to feel comfortable enough to talk about their their story sometimes hey when you when you were talking about the bungalow the guy in the bungalow um, you said that took a fair while how long did that take when you're talking about you know time and not rushing things oh we, that, uh, about a day. Yeah, so we're, we're there about, okay. about it. Had, it had, yeah, there'd been an incident the night before. The crisis assessment team had come out, um, and then we were over sort of that that next morning um, until sort of dusk. Yeah, so about it's about a day. I mean, some are um, some are shorter. Some are a friend of mine holds a record. I think fourteen seconds or something because <laughs> he got to the he got to the house, got to the job and. Ask the local police who's talking. They say, "Well, no one. That's why you're here. You're the negotiator." So no one had yelled out to this fella, yeah. and his wife, his wife, his poor old wife, had uh, said, "Oh, he's gone out to the garage. He's really, really angry, and he's got guns out. You know, he's got guns." And uh, yeah, he had a gun safe in the garage. He wasn't out there holding one, but that was the the story that came through. And um, when my mate Ray got there, he's uh, basically just yelled out, "You know, can you can you hear me?" And yep. Yeah, do you want to come out and talk? He, the bloke said, yep. 
<laughs> he's shitting himself. <laughs> he's surrounded by police. He's going to be shot. And no oh, one had actually established communication. So, you know, oh. again, hu- the human element. You know, the, the yeah. police did a great job courting and everything off, but they called the neg to do the talk and, yeah. and that particular job. So that, yeah, that, that was, um, yeah, solved really, really quickly. But anyway. 14 seconds, That's that's got to be, uh, that'd have to be a record. Now, <laughs> we also, in, in our debrief the other day, you were also telling me about a job that um, actually didn't end well. Um, could you tell us mm. about that job? You know the job I mean? Because if I tell the ending, it'll um, spoil Oh, it. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. That was in um, regional um, Victoria and... Um, no, it didn't end well, and um, whether I got there too late or whether it could have helped or not, I'm not too sure. But um, certainly got up there. We had a, had a fellow in a house that had um, been letting shots off, and um, um, you know, highly agitated fellow, emotionally sort of hijacked, if you like, and and um, was a report. So we got there because he had a rifle. I was negotiating from the armoured car that the police, um, well, the one that they had then. They've got new ones fancier ones these days, but um, the one we had then, an armoured car, so I was in the back of that and sort of um, uh, mic- mic'd up. Um, so you have a mic that so that everything I say goes straight back to the command post so the police commander can listen to conversation or someone back there can listen to conversation how it's running, so that's going on. And, uh, and of course, I've got, I'm on the loudspeaker from the, from the armoured car um, because you, you can only get so close to the, um, even though it's an armoured car, you don't know exactly, you know, what the person's got. So we get so close. So I'm talking to this person. I end up talking with no response for about four hours. Um, Gee, that's a long time with no response. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it is. So um, talking for about four hours to this fellow with no response and, um, um, you know, every time I'd sort of I'd talk about something, I'd get nothing and, you know, you, you design things sometimes just to, you know, just to spark a conversation, just to, you know, you throw things out there just trying to to get to get a response. To, you know, you might catch someone with something that is of interest or that um, sort of, you know, even, even if it borders on upsetting them, you want a response. You want to know that they're alive. Of course. And uh, so every time I'd sit back down in the, the armoured car, you know, the uh, – the, um, the SOG fellas would be like, okay, this is going to be, what are you going to go up, come up with next? You know, well, th- this will be good. Your next brow. I can't wait to hear what, you know, rubbish you come out with next and uh, all this sort of stuff. And it was like, and really I was, you know, I talked about everything from religion. I'm not a very religious person, but I spoke about everything from religion to, you know, restoring old cars, um, oh, you God. know, to, yeah. to mowing the lawn. And, oh, yeah. you know, Anything I could uh, think of, and and um, to try to your response, but um, and in the end, uh, um, we get no response. We decide we better try and get in the house. So they, um, the bomb squad, um, the the bomb squad had a robot, and um, so the tech tech guys put a camera on it, and um, so sent the robot into the house. And very very sadly, <clears throat> he was already gone. He'd um, already taken his own life. So uh, um, the robot um, discovered him in, in the bathroom. But, um, um, yeah, so not a good outcome. And, look, as I say, whether, whether I was just too late or whether I had been there and speaking to him, he'd already made his mind up. Um, 
perhaps negotiation wouldn't have, wouldn't have worked, but certainly we give you know, every opportunity for it to work. And, um, you know, we, we talk and talk and talk and give people every chance to, to solve it other ways, you know. And, and so with that um, gentleman that um, passed away, do you go home on a night like that? Like, does that really gut you to think that I haven't been able to save him? Um, I, I think with that particular job, of, of course, you you um, you question yourself. You, you debrief yourself, you know, after these jobs, and whether that's on the on the drive home, or or whether that's a day or a week later, you, you do debrief. You start to you pull things apart a little bit, um, which is really important. But again, you have to you have to take solace in the fact that you've done what you could whilst not putting yourself in in harm's way as well and and uh and sometimes people reach decision points regardless of your best efforts they reach decision points for whatever reason and they do things that are beyond your control and so you know yeah you just have to um, accept that you know i provided every chance every opportunity i did as much as i could to to help that person um even though they didn't take it so yeah it's, it's important that the debriefs i think um the cell phone and the team one, of course, as well. You know, you debrief jobs, but you know, before you go home, sort of thing, so that everyone understands exactly what happened. You know, you know very well about debriefs, Narelle, and um, yeah. you know, try to understand that we we did everything we could, and even though it might have had a, a, a bad outcome, we we did what we could, and so you don't, um, you know, a year later you might forget some of the detail, you know, and then you start you start blaming yourself because you. Yeah, you have forgotten some of the detail that stopped you doing more. You know, so it's important to have those. You're really open discussions at the time. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, that that was that was a really interesting one. That one. Well, they're all it's interesting. Sad, but, um, um, has anything ever surprised you in a hostage situation? Um, I think wherever there there's a human element, <laughs> there's there's surprises and. Um, yeah, I've, look, there's some stuff that's happened. Um, you know, we, we swapped we swapped a very high powered rifle for half a packet of cigarettes one one night. You know, that sort of thing. That that surprised me. Like, I'm not a smoker, but uh, gee, I tell you what, the cravings must get pretty bad. And uh, and this fella gave up. He actually threw it out his window. <gasps> he's very he's um, the highest powered rifle that he had a 270 for anyone that uh, listens to your show that shoots and. Yeah. Um, Pretty serious weapon, and uh, and of course, giving that up allowed us to do more. We get a bit closer and um, and put in a loudspeaker in a position closer to the house and all this sort of stuff. And um, uh, yeah, that that sort of stuff surprised me. Um, oh um, my goodness, that is you know, unbelievable! Putting, <laughs> put, put, putting the wrong fuel in um, a, a police vehicle and having that stuck at a scene—that surprised me. <laughs> Uh, it wasn't me, it's someone else. You know, people, um, um, hostage takers and, um, uh, you know, th- these subjects of these negotiations actually breaching our inner cordons and things and going, you know, mobile and loose. And um, yeah. we've had other people that have uh, um, fallen asleep, even though we've had sirens and things running at the window, falling asleep through, you know, drug-induced, you know, nearly um, coma toast-type states. Um, that uh, the fel- the fellow at um, job I don't know if we've got time. Yeah, the, we have. The, yeah. Um, yeah. Job that 
have we, we? There was a job that the longest one I'd been involved in, in fact, that um, went for 41 hours uh, in um, northern Melbourne. Oh um, that yeah. that had a lot of surprises in it. Um, that 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 went for a long time. So we had two negotiated teams rotating. So I was a primary on team two, and uh, there was so I came in to relieve the, the first primary and the first team that were running, and we had a, a negotiated truck that we set up in the street, and it was um, all over TV because it went so long. Um, so again, there's that um, public pressure, if you want, or perception. You know, we should mm-hmm. be doing more or solving it more quickly, and this and that. But it's a it's a huge balancing act. Um, to try and you know make sure people don't get hurt, and um, and that that was an interesting one because we had uh, he he was from um, uh, I won't say where he's from European um, Eastern European um, uh, origin and uh, very heavy very heavy accent. So we needed an interpreter because he'd shift in and out of English. He had he had a bit of English. And um, he'd shift in and out. And we had an interpreter come down that they're hard to find, in fact. Um, and this and this fella turned out it was the interpreter's first job. Um, so he was um, he didn't want to go home. He he was so excited to be there and help us resolve. And this had a this had a very successful outcome. He did surrender to me um, at the forty first hour. And um and this interpreter, I still remember, he was there so long, he was starting to get fatigued and tired. So we got a, we had another interpreter come in that was going to change over um, to listen, to just verify some of the information. And uh, and at one point, the interpreter um, told us that the fellow was coming out, because uh, we're talking about having his wife perhaps um, attend at the scene, and he had a daughter, and that ended up solving it for us, the daughter come down on the scene. But um, a wife, um, his wife, and the interpreter said that, uh, oh, yeah, he's, no, he's, he must be okay with a wife. He, he said that when he comes outside, he's going to um, s- squeeze her and give her a big hug. And um, and we're sort of a bit puzzled by that because that wasn't in line with where we'd been going at all and his uh, attitude. And the other interpreter um, quickly informed us that no, no, what he actually said was when he if he sees his wife in the street, he'll he'll get hold of her and he'll squeeze the life out of her. And right. so mm. very very different, yeah, <laughs> messages um, from one to the next. Yes, but we, um, you know, we oh wow, yeah, that was. Um, that was different, but that had uh, we had a uh, one of the members of uh, my neg team was doing some undercover work and got burnt because uh, one of the relatives of this fellow was uh, uh, known to police for drug issues, and uh, so uh, she had to go home because she got burnt. And I don't think her undercover career went very no. good after that. <laughs> and uh, we had we we blew power, we blew we plugged our equipment into a, a home down the street and blew power and actually caused problems. To a few houses in the street, or lost their power because of because of that particular um, um, job. Oh, there, there was so there were so many bits and but he would, he'd come out and he was shooting at the neighbours and um, and he'd oh, eaten right. about forty Panadol tablets. He was um, not quite with us a lot of the time, and every time a plane would go overhead, uh, he thought they were going to drop bombs on him. Um, you know, so we had to get in touch with the air traffic control at Tullamarine and get the flight path and work out when the plane was coming so that we could advise him, look, you're going to hear a plane coming soon. It's a commercial jet. It's full of passengers. It's nothing to do with you. And, oh, yeah, it was um, a really uh, um, bizarre sort of job. But in the end, 
you know, just, just trying to leave him in a bit of a, a, a position where he could make some of his own decisions. He wasn't forced out. We promised he could see his daughter at the end of the street if he walked to the front door and had his hands out and, you know, no weapons and all the rest of it. And, um, and uh, in, in fact, he even went and cleaned himself up for me. I said, why don't you, um, why don't you take a moment to go, you know, go to the bathroom? Why don't you wash your face, brush your hair, you know, if you're going to see her and all this sort of stuff. And, and try, you know, having a, um, a relationship like that where we actually did that stuff and some real meaningful compliance there and um, show that he accepted his position and he was working with us. And we thought, well, you know what, it's going to go all right. And it, and it did. Um, although surrenders can be dangerous, yeah. But but then the the reason that it did come to a conclusion like that is, uh, I would imagine that that's because he trusted you. You'd said, "We'll have your daughter at the end of the street. How about you just go and you know make yourself nice for your daughter?" I don't imagine anyone would do that if they didn't trust the person they were speaking with. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, that that that's um, and really that's what we're working towards the entire time. But you know, if I'd have done something, I'm oh, sorry, if I hadn't have done something, I said I was going to do, or I had have lied to the to him and give him some sort of false hope, or said, you know what, there's, yeah, yeah, absolutely, you come out and uh, you know, and and you can see her, she'll be right out here, and she, and she wasn't there, and he come out the door and saw that she wasn't. Well, then I'm a liar, and then everything's everything's gone, everything's lost, and mm. why would he want to talk to me again? And and that's really important for the integrity of the negotiator team or unit, if you like, as a whole. Be you know, when negotiators turn up, we we want people to to understand. Okay, negotiators talk to me; they're not going to lie to me. You know, at least um, I can. Hopefully they'll be genuine, real, and and try to help. But um, he, he was just a, he thought he'd failed as a father that that fellow, and and um, he really um, took he was sort of beating himself up in in a public forum, if you like, and assigning lots of blame. And uh, he thought he was a his parents had disowned him as well, and uh, um, because he couldn't you know he couldn't hold a, his family together and had lost a job and. And stuff. So really, a lot of that was about um, about trying to restore his um, face. You know, the idea of himself and and defend his face when he when he try to pull it down, and um, and focus on really what's you know what's common to all of us or what's important to all of us. Things like the love, the love for your kids, and that really worked. Mm. Um, regardless of where you're from in the world, you generally love your kids, and. Um, you know that sort of, you know that that worked really well there. But we had, um, yeah, a, no, a number of just bizarre things happen. But in the end, he came out, and um, it was good again, successful outcome. Gee, you were you were being thrown a lot of um, different um, scenario, uh, well, situations there. Like as you say, with the the planes going overhead, with the the neighbours, with him shooting the neighbours, um, with him. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. and the the um, electricity. You know about that all shutting yeah. down. Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> it was it was mad. It was quite yeah. It was like seriously, look over your shoulder. Is someone is someone filming this? Is this some sort of? Yeah, are we being tested? <laughs> tested here or or what? Yeah. Um, but no, no, good good team effort there. And and again, a police um, commander that was that wanted to avoid force at you know at all costs and just use time and and see if we can't 
solve problems through talk, which was good, even though, you know, we, we'd do other things like put listening devices on the house and stuff like that, try and work out where he was and what he was doing when he wasn't talking to me. That's important because um, with armed armed people that are, uh, you know, have paracetamol addiction as he did and, uh, um, you know, it's just some, you know, temporary psychosis really and some bizarre behaviour that follows that. Um, but you just you go in and out of that sort of temporary psycho- psychosis. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Uh, look, so that was, yeah, that, that, was, that was a different one. Yeah. Uh, they're all different, John. They are all incredible. Um, we could be here forever. Look, just in closing, there's just a couple of things I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Um, yeah. You probably get asked this all the time, but the Lint Cafe siege in Sydney. Um, oh, yeah. Now, yeah. look, and if you don't want to answer this, that's fine, but no demands were ever met. Um and in hindsight, it's a wonderful thing, I understand that. But would there be a reason why, if you're in that situation, would you or your colleagues or supervisors, would you have ever um, considered um, uh, meeting the demands? And if not, why not? Yeah. Um, well, yeah what a tragic outcome. Oh, yes. It doesn't get much really. worse than that, yeah. No, it doesn't really, and I probably, you know, I wasn't there, so it's hard to feel entitled to comment really at all when people have um, lost their lives like that. I, um, you know, looking um, from a distance, uh, you know, we didn't get to speak to him directly. So, um, you know, all the negotiation was done by third parties and, and hostages and things, which would have made it very, very difficult. Okay. Um, yeah. in, enormous pressure on the on the um, uh, police command and structure there to, to try to solve that, you know, in you know, against the, the huge, you know, really perilous situation, threat of life to all those people. But um, as far as, you know, I think he wanted to talk to the Prime Minister, for example, you know, th- things like that, we, we try to, if we can, um, pr- provide some sort of rationality to things and, um, and, and talk openly about what's, um, you know, we don't call them ridiculous demands, but we talk openly about the problems and the issues around some of the things that people want. And it could be just somebody, you know, wanting to, hey, you know, if you if you guys all pack up and go home, I'll come down the station and hand myself in tomorrow. I've heard that before a few times. It's, it's you know, it can't happen. It's just, it's too dangerous and too, um, not too bearable. So with, with those sorts of demands, you know, the Prime Minister talking to him, um, I, I want to be always in a position as a negotiator that I can um, work with that person and act as a go-between, if you like, between the person and what it is that they want without without actually hooking them up with the authority, without actually hooking them up with someone that has the power to say yes or no, but just might have to say no, because then we're in a we're in a much worse situation. I want them to see me as somebody that can um, if they are, if I think that they're achievable, can try to help to drive some of the things they want, um, uh, try to push argument um, for or against. You know, if they if they're coming up with ideas like that that are just out of reach, then I'm going to I'm going to talk to them about why they why I feel they are out of reach, you know, and why perhaps it's not the best way to go, and talk about other great ways to solve to solve the problem. But talking to somebody directly that may give them an answer that they don't want, for just as one example of that job, um, could go really, really you know, bad again. I don't know, it did go bad, but could have 
got even worse and could have lost more life. Um, so I always want to be in a position where I'm I'm working with them. I want I want to be seen as you know wanting to work with them. I'm trying to help to try to come up with ideas together that that save life, um, that may be achievable um, to take it rather than put them in touch with um, you know people that are decision makers that really have a lot of other things going on as well that they need to consider. So that that one particular um, uh, element, you know, um, as an example, you know, there's a lot of things happening in that job that were really quite, um, if you look back through history, um, typical of human nature, weren't there? It was, um, it had a lot in it. It had, um, you know, people um, plotting against him, people um, hiding, people um, secretly on phones, people escaping, all sorts of, things are going on just yeah. um yeah and look and i suppose there are always going to be people that you can't um communicate with for whatever reason you can't get that connection um and uh as we say we uh we recognize that um you know there was some um uh, it was a terrible outcome but you know unless mm. you were there it's it's very hard to to sort of to comment really, but I suppose I was more interested just just if if you you ever consider the demands. But I think what you're saying, correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, uh, you discuss their demands. It's not that you don't say no, but you talk about why you can't. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And again, That's that right. comes down and, to and honesty. What? Why does they want that? It does, and trying to have, and if you don't have that um, connection straight up, then you'll never end up being a um, the conduit for those sorts of messages and that. But absolutely, I want I want to explore everything they want and why they want it. Then, of course, negotiators work really, really hard to talk directly to that person. Um, I believe that um, uh, from what I've read, he was concerned about you know mind games and negotiators trying to influence him one way or the other and and trick him and that and you know that, that that's a, a misconception um, that is out there that um you know negotiators uh, you know try to play mind tricks and games and all that sort of stuff and how many times you know i've gone to a job in the middle of the night and the local police will be wondering what i'm going to say as an opening statement or what i'm going to talk about or what i'm going to negotiate and oh well this you know this this should be good and it's, it's generally not that good it's just really <laughs> Just be a Denny as a person, and and being and absolutely listening and getting a story and and putting them at ease and and trying to provide an emotional, stable platform if you like, um, you know, open mindedness with with rationality and and trying to work with them. It's um, you know, and sometimes not saying too much, just letting letting them go, especially if they're angry. Just say less, like. Uh, not about me, <laughs> you know. But yeah, that but that job up there, you know, a lot of um, yeah, a lot of elements to that, and um, very complex situation. Um, yeah, for sure. But the Megs, I'm sure, would have been working as hard as they could. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to be in that position. Now, my last question: Do you find that generally you get your own way most of the time? Due to being able to negotiate so well, and I'm thinking here, maybe like talking to an attractive woman at a bar, or maybe getting out of doing the chores at home. Do you find <laughs> Do you find that's very helpful? <laughs> uh, no, 
<laughs> there, there's there's a short answer for you. <laughs> no, at home. Look, Narelle, if any of this stuff worked at home, mate, uh, tell you, we'd, we'd be running. I'd be running a whole different training program. <laughs> None of this stuff works at home, mate. I wish I, I wish I knew it worked at home. Get too emotionally invested at home, <laughs> let alone what talking girls at bars. <laughs> no, yeah, no. Come on, come on, John, no, help those. Yeah, but, Hope that, help those guys yeah, out there yeah. that are looking for a line, you know, <laughs> to a lovely young lady in a pub. <laughs> no, I've got nothing for you. Hey, John. <laughs> so if hey, I did have, I wouldn't be sharing it with anybody else. <laughs> hey, John, it's been an absolute pleasure having yeah. you um, and thank you for everything that you've done with uh, Vic Pohl and um, to those people that you've saved, um, you know, Thank you from everybody. And we might just give um, your training, uh, your company, a little plug before we go. Um, can you just uh, tell us oh, just in a quick run? You what do you do? Um, pro- yeah, look, we're doing frontline training for um, uh, frontline teams across government and um, corporates, you know, um, just to develop capability and safety in, in people, look, you know, for health professionals or security teams or council teams, um, yeah, sorts of people. So it's really, uh, that's quite quite rewarding, actually, that stuff. And, oh, I have uh, no doubt um, it is. Yeah, and it's called? Good, good results. Just, and it's yeah, called just, Procom Consulting. Procom. Procom right, Consulting. John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if you can be looking at that. <laughs> um, great to talk to you, Narelle. Thank yeah. you. A pleasure to talk to it's you really too. Good. I'll look forward to the debrief now. <laughs> Get some more stories. <laughs> okay, lovely That's to awesome. talk to you. Thanks, John. <laughs> Bye. Bye.